to a special Biota Live. I am Tom Bubbley, and this evening I'm going to have the pleasure of talking with a special guest with regards to a special product that they have just produced. Hello, John Klein. Hi, how are you, Tom? Very good, very good. So I wanted to call this special Biota Live this evening uh, because you have a, a special announcement for the artificial life community. And also I wanted to talk a little bit about the development that went into this and also some of your own updates with regards to, to Breve and Graytham. So would you like to announce to the artificial life community why we're holding this special Biota Live? Sure. Um, so I wanted to talk to you tonight so I could uh, announce the release of uh, the uh, Breve Walker uh, app for the iPhone. Um, it's the original Breve Walker simulation that comes with Breve, and it was once a screensaver for Mac OS X, and it's now available for the iPhone. And in terms of the logical progression, I, I recall talking on Floss Weekly probably about 18 months ago about the possibility of you doing Breve Walker for the iPhone. My sense of that came from the fact that you were really even a, a pre- Apple Development Toolkit developer for the iPhone. You had a wide variety of background knowledge, obviously, with regards to the Mac platform and Coco. Can you kind of walk people through the, the evolution of Breve for the iPhone? Right. Well, what really really led me to do it and take it on right now was uh, the development of Breve had kind of uh, had been on the shelf for a while and had stalled out a little bit um, because... I'm not working in academia right now, and the projects that I had been working on in, uh, for Breve had sort of trailed off for a while. Um, so bringing out Breve Walker for the iPhone seemed like a sort of fun way for me to get back into uh, Breve development and to uh, bring some of the old code up to date uh, you know, while working on a, a cool project. And uh, you know, as you said, I've been a Mac developer for many years, so it's it was kind of natural to uh, to head in that direction. I'm asked by a lot of people, both within the artificial life community and outside the artificial life community, about iPhone development. And I've I similarly have been a long time Mac developer, but haven't actually developed on the iPhone specifically. For someone who has some background in programming, but not necessarily Mac-related programming skills, can you characterize? What they what they would need to do in order to develop their applications for the iPhone specifically? Sure. So a lot of people are diving into uh, diving into iPhone development, you know, from scratch, trying to learn Objective C and uh, you know the Mac development tools that way. But there are also a lot of great sort of third-party solutions now for people looking to get a jump start into iPhone programming, especially in the area of things like simulation and games. So uh, there are a lot of uh, pretty cool uh, game engines now that run on the iPhone as well as on the Mac and on PC. Um, so you can target any of those platforms. So for example, uh, Unity um, or Torque, both of those are great engines that run on the iPhone. So getting, getting up and running with the uh, iPhone development tools from scratch and Objective-C can be daunting for a lot of people. But if you're really interested in simulation and uh, sort of things more oriented, similar to game development, um, looking at some of those engines is probably a, a good choice. And in terms of Android and these kind of technologies, obviously Android is Java-based. Do you get a sense of the 
Java development community and the, the access to the iPhone specifically? Android is an interesting one because uh, all the people I know right now doing mobile app development are sort of waiting to see what happens with the Android platform, um, specifically in terms of uh, business decisions and making money from it. You know, the iPhone has proven that as a platform that it can get the audience and you can make money from it, but the, the same thing hasn't happened for Android yet. And in fact, there are uh, plenty, of, uh, plenty of developers out there sort of complaining that, you know, they had they were able to produce, you know, hit games on the iPhone uh, when they ported their work to to Android, even though they became one of the top apps, they're making nowhere near what they could on the iPhone. So I think it's only a, a good thing to have more uh, more mobile platforms out there that people can develop for. But as far as uh, commercial development, I think people are sort of waiting to see what happens. And I mean, in terms of user interface for an existing artificial life developer looking to move their simulation onto something like the iPhone, can you characterize the, the kind of learning steps that you had moving uh, Brevet Walker from the kind of desktop environment? And I mean, for people not familiar with Brevet Walker, perhaps it would be a good idea to kind of give a background to what it looked like when you when you ran it on a, a you know Mac or a Windows machine versus what it, it looks like now on the iPhone. Sure. So uh, to take a step uh, further back, uh, I'll just give a quick description of what Brevet Walker really is. Um, so Brevet Walker is sort of an artificial life, uh, artificial intelligence experiment that was originally distributed as part of the Brevet simulation environment. Um, it's inspired by Sims Creatures work, uh, but it's sort of a more simplified version. And it's basically a simulated robot where the, the body of the robot is fixed, unlike Sims' work, um, but it learns to walk using a genetic algorithm. On the on desktop computers, uh, Brevet is a full simulation environment that you can uh, open up the code for all these simulations. You can tweak things. Uh, you can run them and sort of interact with the simulation in real time. Uh, for the iPhone, it's, it is a little bit different because of some of the user interface limitations. So for the iPhone, it's really more, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit less interactive, and it's really more sort of a demonstration of what a genetic algorithm is and how, uh, you know, how it can be used to evolve locomotion uh, in these creatures. So it's, it's less about tinkering with, the, the robot and making changes to it, and it's more about you know showing people how genetic algorithms and how artificial life works. And the Brewbay source code has always been open source. Is the iPhone development portion also open source? With some very minor exceptions, yeah. So the the Brewbay source code for the for the main engine is completely open source. The the specifics of the application wrapper around it uh, have not been open sourced yet, but it's, you know, pretty, pretty trivial work, the part that's not open sourced. We haven't actually had an opportunity to chat with you on BioDelive specifically, John, so it must have been at least 18 months since our last conversation. Um, in terms of the, the local artificial life community in Boston, I think last time we spoke, we talked a little bit about Grace. Um, 
Can you characterise what's going on currently in Boston and can you tell us a little bit about what's going on currently with Graytham specifically? Sure. So uh, Graytham, uh, as people may know, is a it's a group in Boston. We meet up about once a month to discuss uh, artificial life and related topics. Uh, usually the format is that we have a speaker and then people stick around for drinks and conversations. We, I guess we've been doing it for about two years in that format and a little bit longer longer than that, just sort of more as a casual uh, get-together of people. Um, the past couple of months, uh, we actually haven't had meetings um, just due to all sorts of things involving people's schedules and uh, <laughs> finding speakers. But we are uh, right now in the process of putting together a couple of, uh, a couple of great new speakers and um, trying to get, we have a couple of people interested from who do artificial intelligence and artificial life in, in games and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, Brian Peltonen, who's uh, our, our president, one of our organizers, uh, he's doing a, a great job of putting together some speakers for the next couple of months. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, certainly when we have Bruce Damer on and people that are part of the um, Graytham Silicon Valley community, I, I ask them about what's going on with their community specifically. And I think what interests me with regards to their feedback is um, the the effects of the economy with regards to the artificial life community. I mean, certainly it's something we've talked about quite a bit in BioLife. In terms of the Boston community, do you get a sense that there are issues associated with the slowdown in the economy that's also affecting the local artificial life community there? Uh, I don't know if we've sort of pinpointed it as... Uh anything to do with the the economy in particular but you know the truth is everybody involved with uh with Graysum here in Boston the organizers have you know all been <laughs> you know very busy and professional and personal lives and maybe that ties into the the economy in some way i'm not sure but uh, i think you've all yeah. i think you've all had well most of you at least have had children recently in the past 18 months as well yeah, that's been a that's been a large factor of uh, having less time to uh, to work on this stuff. But but again, we we do have uh, we are lining up some people, and so we should be making an announcement uh, soon uh, in terms of resuming our meetings. So I was contacted yesterday by uh, Lee Spector with regards to the new um, work group that I've set up, and it was wonderful to be contacted by Lee because I think it's certainly in terms of the academic. Uh, artificial life community. He, he, together with you, have, uh, have have done a lot of great work. But the thing that interests me about forming the work group is the artificial life and industry component is still uh, quite heavily lacking. I've sent out a lot of feeler emails um, to, to people I know who do artificial life-related work in um, in companies and in, in broader industries. And what interests me with regards to the Boston group specifically was that you did have some... Um, a number of people that came in that were either part of a startup culture or part of uh, existing companies that used artificial life-related technology. Do you get a sense that, uh, I mean, I guess Brian himself is, is an example of that, the stuff that he's doing with living playsets is fundamentally, you know, a company and also artificial life-related in some regard. Can you characterize over the past 18 months if there have been any changes with regards to the startups? Do you see them moving more into kind of pharmaceutical-like research or are they still coming from all different places together um, with, with a shared kind of artificial life interest? 
Yeah, people really do come from all over the place, and um, the fact that the fact that we don't have a lot of uh, "quote unquote" artificial life in uh, business, I don't know if that means that people don't actually use those techniques and those skills in business. Uh, or, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are working with simulations and work that would otherwise be characterized as artificial life, but, you know, done in a, uh, you know, a business setting, it usually doesn't get that title. So we maybe separate it or make it seem like it's a distinct thing. But, you know, I would say that people really are applying those same kinds of techniques, artificial life techniques in, in business every day. Um, be it in you know simulations or scientific research or in game development. Certainly, certainly, and I mean that's a large portion of the work group is actually defining that and looking at means of outreach and looking at ways to actually bring in people who are fundamentally doing artificial life related work in industry into the broader artificial life community and particularly uh, perhaps realigning uh, some of the academic artificial life development to actively assist the stuff that's going on in industry. So you've been you've been developing Brevo for I guess more than a decade now. Has it been more than a decade with regards to your Brevo development? Yeah, it's been it's been just about that. Um, if we were to look at the uh, you know the first commits to the uh, of the source code, it would be about a decade. I mean, there was there was some stuff that came along even earlier than that, but of the code that's now Brave, I would say about a decade. Yeah, so that, that's, that's my reflection with regards to it. Is there any aspect of contemporary artificial life that really interests you? And Would you consider doing a, another project? Would it be like Breve or would it be something completely different? Well, you know, because Breve is a platform rather than a specific A-life project, I find myself going back to it over and over again, even when I have new project ideas. Um, so it, it doesn't seem like I sit down very often and say, you know, here's a new idea. I'm going to start this new project from scratch. A lot of the times I'll get a new idea for something and say, okay, how can I build that into the the simulation platform so that I'll, you know, always have access to, to that kind of thing again. Um, and certainly looking at some of the features that have been added to Breve over the years, they've sort of followed that pattern. So they're, all sorts of, you know, research interests that have ended up becoming, you know, sort of standard components of the software um, and then, you know, mixed and matched in projects further down the line. Certainly, and I think that's that's the nature of these long-term projects. I feel exactly the same way with Noble 8. There have been things that have, you know, come completely from left field that I've been able to integrate and implement into Noble 8, and I think that's the the intrinsic nature of these kind of longer-term projects. Your um, work with Breve was recently uh, memorialized in the second edition of Marcio Komenczynski's book. I believe it's called Artificial Life in Software. Was that actually a new chapter, or was that some of your, your older papers that you've written on Breve? No, that was a new chapter, and it was a pretty comprehensive uh, overview of the simulation software and all of the significant work that we've that we've done with it. So that was actually really nice sort of uh bookend on um 
on Breve development there sort of as a, a retrospective perhaps of you know the past 10 or so years of work and uh, and research that we've done with it. It's an interesting book because I think when it first came out it was probably about 60 or 70 dollars and it's now more than a hundred dollars and I wasn't sure how much of it was actually new work or how much of it was reprinting. I did put to much a that um, he should consider actually doing volumes as a way of uh, characterizing a lot of different artificial life developments rather than reprinting some of the old stuff and then adding uh, what seemed like really interesting chapters such as yours. But in terms of, I know that you, you publish occasionally with Springer, or certainly I've had another Springer publication that contains uh, some of your work, not very, very related, if I recall correctly. But do you get a sense of what contemporary academic publishing is like with regards to artificial life, and do you think there is a, a movement towards more a kind of textbook-style format, or do you think there's still room for uh, abstract and, and novel research in uh, artificial life academia? Sure. Well, there's certainly, uh, you know, a couple of specific target journals and and conferences, you know, really, which are about artificial life specifically, and, you know, where artificial life can kind of stand on its own. But as I said, uh, you know, as I was describing before with industry, um, there are plenty of other sort of spokes coming out of artificial life where artificial work artificial life work can be can be published and can be relevant you know things it can be relevant in um you know biology journals and it can be relevant in all sorts of other machine learning journals and so there's really even though the, again the field of artificial life itself feels like it might be the small sometimes fringy thing it really just um plays into so many other fields and industries that, you know, I don't think there's a shortage of, of good places to to get the word out or to, to publish papers on artificial life. Yes, yeah, so it's interesting with the 40 years of Conway's life coming up, or at least the publication of, of Conway's life, that when you think of every aspect of uh, science and even, even uh, social science that has been touched by Conway's life as a, a modeling method and also a metaphor for um, for contact and distribution. I mean, I think the idea of artificial life as being a, a fringe topic um, with 40 years of Conway's life illustrating how a relatively simple idea in cellular atomics can actually spread <laughs> intellectually as well as uh, algorithmically really does negate that uh, the thought that uh, artificial life is only a, a small, tight ball of... Uh, perhaps fringe ideas. So, John, I mean, we seem to be, every every 18 months we seem to get together for for this kind of chat. And what interests me, um, particularly with regards to the potential of things like Grey Thumb and also um, getting this work group together, is that in 18 months' time, when we next talk, artificial life could be in a, a new and different place. You've mentioned the games industry in particular, and this is something that is raised periodically on Bias Live. Do you think there is potential for uh, artificial life games in the next 18 months specifically? Sure. So I was actually um, just speaking with Brian Peltonen about this uh, last night. You know, as you know, with Living Playsets, he's working actively on artificial life gaming. Um, I'm certainly one of the things that I'm tinkering around with in Breve is making the engine more applicable to 
to, to games and gaming. Um, but Brian brought up a really interesting point, which is that um, I don't know if you've uh, if you've played Farmville on uh, Facebook, but it's this enormously popular uh, social game. Uh, it's like a farming simulation, and uh, if you really break it down and look at the components, uh, it really truly is an artificial life kind of game. It's it's gamified artificial life. It's not actually an artificial life experiment to find out how these plants grow and evolve over time, but it really is a, a simulation kind of game that could easily be uh, classified as artificial life. And there are a lot of other games out there like that. Um, so it's not just that, you know, there's the potential for artificial life games. It's that, there are games out there which already really fill, fulfill those <laughs> the definitions of of artificial life. Um, now, the people playing it right now probably aren't interested in some of the some of the artificial life questions that that we like to talk about. But I don't think it's a far stretch to get to those things either. If you were to add some kind of evolutionary dynamic, for example, to to Farmville, I think that would be something that would really interest people, and they would get a kick out of looking at all the, the novel creations that, uh, that they can come up with. Yes, Farmville plus gene splicing would certainly be a, a very interesting social network game. I think the, the, the point with regards to interface is really critical here, and certainly looking at folk who've, who've historically developed uh, standalone artificial life simulations, which they may have put online, you know, with regards to... Uh, a, a means of getting uh, artificial life out and in the general public and discussed really need to seriously consider things like the iPhone and Facebook applications and all these things that really fundamentally have a, the network as part of it as well as the humans tinkering with it. So I, I agree entirely. In fact, it's amazing that you raised Farmville because I was actually going to raise that as another question to you following that line. But So, I mean... Brian is obviously thinking along this line, and there's obviously a community um, in Boston that, I mean, the, the origins of Graytham is really from game developers anyway, isn't it? Yeah, so so Brian and um, and Martin Martin, uh, who I think they were the two uh, core founders, and, um, you know, Martin Martin is now now an AI programmer in the games industry, uh, and, and Brian is sort of going down that path as well, so... Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. So, I mean, characterizing these these trends, it would be relatively easy for existing artificial life developers. In fact, I mean, this is Gerald Jung's continued narrative, is um, moving Darwin at home into something that I don't know whether it will run on Facebook, but certainly will have the network playability component. Is the network the next thing for Brevet? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, it's something I'm always thinking about and something I'm always working on to some extent, but uh, I, I don't I don't have the uh, the, the grand plan for it yet uh, <laughs> to be an EvoGrid-style uh, simulation running on multiple machines. Um, so, I mean, as you say, network, having network interaction is certainly going to be a, a piece of it, but exactly what form that's going to take on, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, it's an interesting problem taking existing simulations, and I really this is the discussion with the Evo grid or what became Biota Eve as well, is taking existing 
simulations and then adding the network is one thing. The benefit that you have with Brevet is, as you say, it's more like an operating system that is like a, a single particular simulation. So your, your integration of the network could be something that was relatively subtle, but simulators could build on in, in kind of uh, power exponential uh, methods as they added the network into their particular simulation. So I think you're in a you're in a different category in terms of adding the network versus, for example, someone such as Gerald or myself. But in terms of the kind of simulations that are built within Brevet, uh, I'm not sure when you last uh, wrote a, a Brevet simulation. I know you have a large user base that writes their own simulations too. Is there plans to uh, release large libraries of all of the potential Brevet simulations? I know you include some libraries or some uh, originally Steve um, simulations, but I mean, will you start uh, creating libraries of, of new submitted simulations as part of the distribution? Yeah, that's something I've been giving some thought to as well. Um, beyond just the the programming tasks of releasing a new version of Brevet and you know doing work there, um, I think the uh, the Brevet community site is really in need of an overhaul to add in some of that kind of functionality to let people share simulations more easily. Um, the, some of the networking aspects we just talked about might play into that as well. Um, in general, people are pretty open with their Brevet simulations, and certainly any of the, the research work we've done, we always open up the source code and make it available. But it's usually on a project page for the particular piece of research, and it's not necessarily something that we sort of package up together and release in one place. So I think there's probably a lot of room for improvement there. And uh, again, I'll probably look at that in terms of a new Brevet user community somewhere down the line. Yeah, but something Dave Kerr, I mean, Dave Kerr is obviously more, his, his application in terms of actually creating the creatures in AI Planet obviously lends itself more to distribution. But the original experience of downloading Brevet and loading the initial simulations is, is great in a kind of historical context of artificial life. But the modern simulations, the current users of Brevet and the way in which they're using the simulation, which would add a kind of wow factor to perhaps people that are jaded with blockies or uh, other um, simulations that perhaps have been historically packaged with Brevet, I think would... Uh, would certainly yield uh, another generation's interest in some regard. In terms of the graphics, in terms of these, the, the interface, in terms of the kind of reach in the complexity that can exist in the Brevet engine, from people that have written simulations with Brevet recently, do you have some particular stars that you'd like to talk about? I've actually been a little bit, uh, <laughs> because I haven't been working on Brevet recently, um, I haven't really been watching the community too much either, so I don't have uh, don't have any really good examples right now of uh, of what people are are actively doing with it. Um, as far as some of the other questions you raised about you know the graphics and what people are able to do with it, uh, that's one of the that's one of another one of the reasons that I'm really adding some of this uh, gaming and gameplay functionality to the engine. Um, it's just that people want to have, you know, more advanced and more sophisticated simula simulations now. So I'm working to add some of those features, um, which, among other things, will allow people to to have m more realistic simulations. 
Certainly, certainly. Now, are you charging money for the iPhone app? I am. It's uh, it's a three dollar app. In terms of moving the potential of moving Brevet into into a, a small business, I mean, this seems to be the kind of perennial question that people ask artificial life developers: is where's the money? Where's the business plan? Is this something that you're thinking about, or will Brevet always be a hobby? I don't know exactly what Brevet will be what it is now and what it will be in the future. I, I can say that the Breve simulation environment will always be free. Um, there might be ways to uh, release aspects of it which are more uh, entertainment-oriented and, um, and charge money for those. So, you know, charging money for this iPhone app or if I were to release a game, it might be a, a commercial endeavor. But as far as the core source and the simulation environment itself, that's absolutely uh, going to be free. Yeah, it's interesting, the, the potential for artificialized small business models. And certainly we had Steve Grand on recently and also Tolkis, who was a, a chat room participant, talking about the robotics community and how if they're not creating you know, full-time small businesses, they're at least creating kind of hobby pocket change um, from their particular robotics developments. And it was an interesting model that could be mapped back onto the artificial life community. And perhaps you're, you're starting this with regards to uh, Brevet on the iPhone. I'm certainly going to be following this um, with great interest in terms of this as being a, a potential hobbyist uh, pocket change model for the future. How long has the, the application actually been on the, uh, the iTunes store? Uh, it was just released today. Wow. Okay. So this is almost a scoop. Well, yes. John, I'd, <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to invite you on a, a future Biota Live. In fact, any of the topics that we cover on Biota Live, getting your insight and experience would be a, a real pleasure. Um, in terms of the time, I know it's 11 p.m. through to midnight on Friday. I'm certainly interested in doing it at other times too. Similarly with Brian, we've been missing Brian's insight in, in recent Biota Lives as well, and I hope that the time is the only reason you and Brian haven't been able to um, participate. Do you think there's a need for a, a Saturday, I guess it would probably be 11 or 12, kind of noontime Biota Live for you folk? Would that work out better? Uh, that could be useful. Or, um, you know, again, if you can break from the, uh, the live format every once in a while, then that would, uh, I'm sure you'd be able to make a time for, uh, for Brian and I to... Certainly. Make- when do we plan for something like that in the future? And if listeners want to submit questions to to John and, and Brian for a future Biota Live, I think the the whole perspective of potentially independent games, potentially integrated uh, games, creating SDKs, this kind of stuff. I mean, this is an ongoing topic in, in uh, the Biota podcast, and it would be wonderful to have you and Brian both on together to do the kind of jamming that you appear to have already done with him last night. <laughs> Sure, I think uh, I, I think he, he and I would be uh, pretty interested in that. Terrific. Well, John, I'd like to thank you for this this impromptu chat. I know we've been trying to plan it for uh, a few weeks now, but the actual release on the iPhone store has certainly has certainly motivated basically getting this this interview done. Do you have any Do you have any final thoughts for the Biota Live listening audience? Uh, I just want to give my thanks, as always, to you, Tom, for uh, for running the podcast podcast and for uh, you know, being so great at rallying the uh, the A-Life community. I think it's uh, really some great work you've been doing. 
And uh, one final thing, if I could just give a, a plug for the app, um, I just want to tell people that they can go to artificial.com slash BW for Reve Walker, uh, and they'll find a link to the app there. Terrific, John. And I'd like to thank you as well. I mean, I think you're you're an inspirational figure in the artificial life community. I know Larry Yeager um, and, uh, and I corresponded with you recently, and Larry echoed this as well. I mean, he, I, I think of Larry in, uh, as a... a a historical figure in the artificial life community, but also very much a contemporary figure, uh, and he certainly echoes this too with regards to uh, to praising your work with Brevet and the continued work um, that you seem to be doing. It's going to be exciting times when we have uh, artificial life running on the iPhone and potentially even Facebook too in the near future. I'll need to start that as a rumor. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it was it was actually great to uh, for that you connected me with uh, with Larry because. Uh, you know, he was a real inspiration behind, uh, you know, Polyworld was a real inspiration behind Breve in the first place. So it was nice to uh, get in contact with him and have that go full circle that he was interested in, in uh, what I had built there. Well, I think Breve is a tool that's being used at universities currently. And certainly what I'm interested in doing with this work group is identifying actually which universities are are using tools such as Breve specifically. So this information can go back to, to people such as yourself and really, it can it can go full circle in terms of uh, getting the necessary information details back to you, and, and potentially even motivating um, future users and developers. Yeah, absolutely, that'll be very valuable information to have. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to to chat with you this evening, John, and I'd like to thank the folks for listening in as well. All right, thank you, Tom.